the last time we were together, you were talking about the apostasy and what the apostasy is. And in, in a couple words, just to kind of bring us all back onto the same page, we talked about how the the apostasy is really losing. It's a falling away from the the one thing that makes Christianity what it is, that makes <clears throat> salvation what it is. It's it's a falling away from the life of God and the soul of man as the as the operating life and nature and power and truth and righteousness and every, everything. It's it's not just a loss of one thing. <clears throat> it's a loss of all things that are really spiritual and the the working in man of uh, of a well the absence you could say the absence of the spirit of god which is just flesh it's a soul that's lost its light and life from above and that walks in a darkness and uh a fallen uh nature that is outwardly in the outward man like an animal and inwardly like a continual thirst and hunger and lack and desire for something that it uh, does not have and cannot produce. That's what the condition of the, the natural man is. He obviously has faculties of reason and he can reason about things, but he can't actually do anything about his condition in the fall, because in order for there to be any kind of solution to, to his problem, he needs to be uh, he needs to be born of the life and the light that he lost, and so that's what the apostasy is. And and just maybe to say, God created man so that the life of man there's you could say that there's three things. Um, it depends kind of how you look at it, but man is a soul that was supposed to, and a body, uh, and the, but the life of God was supposed to fill that soul and reign over that body so that the body was an expression of the life of God and was a servant to it so that everything that's done in the body, really the purpose of even having a body in this world for humans was to glorify God, manifest the life and nature of God uh, and to serve the life of the, of the soul, which, is, which was for a short time Christ. And, and when you lose Christ, the life, which you, you lose everything that made, it any, made man good in any way. That's why right after the fall, that's why God says things like, every thought and intent of man's heart was only evil all the time. That's because the good of it was lost. And what was left was a soul that was created to receive and live by the life and light and nature of God. With Without it is just a, a raging hunger, thirst, emptiness, darkness, deadness, uh, a feeling of lack in every conceivable way, wrapped in a body that uh, the soul then tries to find its needs met or its desires met in. Instead of manifesting life through a body, it then be it begins to 
to try to suck life out of the body or the experiences of the body, which are outward. And that is why people just run around this world, for the most part, uh, pursuing the passing pleasures of the body, thinking that things are going to get better, things are going to change, and they never do. And, and, and uh, because they have this eternal vacuum in their heart that's empty, and they're trying their best to squeeze purpose and life and light and, and all the things that they've lost out of an outward realm, which was only created to be shadows of spiritual realities, uh, outward manifestations of, of Christ in which man was created to, to, to glorify and manifest the, the life that was in him. And so when man lost that, he and then began to live by uh, that 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 holy spiritless soul in and for the outward world that's why the earth filled immediately with violence that's why the earth was so vile and when man rejected, when man crucified, so to speak, the, the life of, of God that was given to his soul, then uh, the earth filled itself with or was filled with ho- horrible, a horrible condition that God destroyed with the flood. And yeah, that's kind of the one. I feel a desire to then kind of have that lead me into a little bit of a survey of the Old Testament, but I'm going to resist that one. And uh, because it, that that's why God began to deal with Abraham the way he did and Israel with an outward law and all of that. But um, to kind of keep on track, Christ came, Christ gave his life, gave his spirit to... Um, to re- to restore and to resolve that problem, and and the the way of resolving it, and that's why if you if you understand what I just said about the fall, then you understand that a teaching couldn't fix that problem. Like a, if Jesus came as a teacher or a, a moral philosopher, that wouldn't solve the problem at all. If Jesus came uh, in any other way but offering a birth in man of the life that man lost. And a growth of that birth so that it reigns in the soul and then is manifested in the body through love, through service, so that our manifestation of true religion is serving the widows and the uh, orphans and keeping ourselves unstained from the world. That's what, that's what the body, that's, that's, that's about what the body can be doing. It can be manifesting the life. That's what James says, pure and undefiled religion is this. He describes it that way, and that's because if the life of God is reigning in the soul of man, then what you're doing is you're loving and serving outwardly, and you're keeping yourself constantly from being stained by the vile realities that reign in the world because man brought sin into it. Uh, Man brought sin into it like a big cancer that, that started to grow and fill it, and so, I'm not getting very far, but when, when after the, even in the time of the apostles, they started talking about how many were falling away from that life, going back to weak and worthless things that were just shadows, like he says, like days, like 
like uh, keeping specific old covenant days or sacrifices or new moons or things like that, going back to the things that pointed to the life but that weren't the life. Paul starts to say, like, you're you're going back to nothing. You're going back to circumcision. You're falling away. Jesus, uh, even Jesus said that that, uh, time was coming when the love of most would grow cold. And that... um, and then when he's dealing with his churches in, Re- in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he's describing how many of them had turned. They'd started well, but they turned away. And all of that is just to describe the apostasy. And what is the apostasy? Once again, it is the, it's, it's having received something of God that can actually undo the fall of man, undo the curse of man can fill the, the life and heart, the soul of man again with uh, the governing nature and righteousness and truth and life of God and, and, and begin to manifest that outwardly in all the ways that that can actually be manifested in this world and, and, and yet to turn away from that and to go back to, to trying to live as a Christian now with correct beliefs, beliefs in the outward coming of Christ, beliefs in the, uh, in the doctrines of Christ, beliefs in the scriptures, but denying the inward power or government of Christ, then what you have now is, is something actually uglier, probably, in some respects at least, than what was going on before. Because now you have the same nature of sin, of selfishness, of pride, reigning in a group of people, a body of people who believe spiritual writings that Christ gave or the apostles gave, but are living in a totally contrary nature. And that's that's something that you cannot resolve or fix by reading true things or believing truth just just believing true things or by doing things you read in the bible or by keeping ordinances that you think you're interpreting rightly in the bible none of that's going to do anything really until all of those things are done in and by the motivation of a new birth rising up in the in the heart um and and so we ended the very last time talking about why the thing that should be governing man is not the scriptures, although I believe that every one of the scriptures, every word of the scriptures was breathed by the Spirit of God and are true and and necessary and right and a gift from God. And yet if this same Holy Spiritless soul that's living in and for the outward world of animal life is the one that's reading the scriptures and interpreting the scriptures and applying the scriptures and teaching the scriptures, then the scriptures are not being used in a way that can actually benefit him. And and so the thing that must be ruling in man, although the scriptures are a wonderful gift and are useful in, in a whole bunch of different ways, they are useful to point man, first and foremost, to that life and seed that they need to have uh, born in them again. 
And, and then as you begin to experience that seed and that life of God, then all of the scriptures start to come alive and they start to make sense. And you understand that the, the spirit that's in you bears witness with them that they were written by the, the same spirit that's in you is, is recognizing the, the purpose, the understanding, the intention of the words that are written down in scripture. And they can be incredibly helpful, rich, edifying, and all of that. But uh, one of the things that I was saying that Pennington talks about is that he asked that question, what should be the rule of, of man in, in, in the church? And the rule of man in the church should be the Spirit of God, the Spirit and life of, of Jesus Christ. And the scriptures are wonderful in every way that they point to that, explain that, talk, teach about the reality of that, warn us about falling away from that, describe exactly how God has done that, what God has done to, to acquire that gift and, and give it to man, all of that is, is all contained in scriptures. Um, and they're, they're an outward uh, rule that by which all doctrines can be tested and by which there's a whole bunch of reasons we could talk about them. But I just say that because um, if we're living in that, apost- if, in, in that apostate state without experiencing a coming again, a coming of Christ, not the outward coming, but an inward coming of Christ as the, as the return of the life and light of God in the soul, then the scriptures can, can, can and have been misunderstood, perverted, twisted, used to do all kinds of horrible things, used to fight wars and to kill people and to twist things and everything. Scriptures have been used throughout history. In fact, it's one of the most common arguments of uh, atheist today is that look at look at what it's been done in the name of religion in the world. All it's done is made a mess. Unfortunately, there's a, there's a lot of truth to that, and that's what happens when uh, people, as William Law says, turn to God without turning from themselves. All right, but the next thing that he says is a longer uh, recap that I was expecting, but um, that that man has be, because man has lost that life and power and light, which is Christ, then he has necessarily lost a real understanding and experience of everything that is known to known only by experiencing that light, life and power. And you could, and so he's lost the true faith, though he maintains a kind of human belief. He doesn't know real faith. He's lost Love. We'll get to these, I think, in, uh, uh, specifically more in some coming weeks, if, if that seems right. But um, <clears throat> he, he, he's lost love. And yet he maintains something that he calls love and something that he magnifies as love, but it's not the love that comes from that spirit. And, and, but the, the, the next thing that, that he talks about in that in there is the fact that we've lost worship. We've lost the real worship. The world's full of, not as much maybe now in terms of percentages as it was for the last several hundred years. Because there's, I think, a, a whole lot more people that are not even concerned with whether or not there is a God. Or That's my opinion. But there's to, so many distractions now and so many atheists and so many whatever. So much like, that's a bunny trail. Okay, but the... There is still millions and millions of people who would say that worship is important. But what is worship? 
and what and is how is it done or what is it that it actually is and 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 can can man just do it is it something that man can just do is it something that man can just learn to to do those are some questions that i think it's it's really good to think about and and before even trying to answer that question i think if if everybody in the world would just before they just go on a sunday or saturday or whatever day they go to do worship um, if everyone would just stop for just 10 minutes and bring to the Lord this question and think about it before the Lord, um, what, that I think it would be extremely helpful to point people in the right direction. What could a perfect, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who lacks nothing and is the substance of all goodness and righteousness and truth, what could that God actually want from me? What could that God want from something that he created? And, and if we're willing to actually ask that question and think about it and pray about it, then I think it's, it's going to help us to reevaluate Christians in general, some of the things that I think we just hear and just take for granted. For instance, the idea that what God wants from me is 45 minutes of singing every week, and that's called worship. Now, that, I hope, to you sounds a little bit weird and strange and wrong, because it is weird and strange and wrong. To think that the, the thing that we do, that, that you could go to a place at a specific time and sing some songs, generally half-heartedly, and call that the worship that you've given to God for that week. Anybody, I think, that has some sincerity and honesty and humility in their heart would have to stop right there and say, that's absurd. I wouldn't even like that if I, if I were God a bunch of people coming and singing me a song for 45 minutes a week. I'm so far from wanting and seeing and understanding what God wants and sees and understands. And yet, as a, as a mere human, that would seem ridiculous to me. Is that something that's going to please a perfect, the like quintessence of perfection and life and goodness and righteousness? I, I hope that that... Um, I hope that that seems strange. Like, does that? What does he? Does he want a really good guitar solo between the A and B stanzas of your worship song? Is that really what? Because I mean, I've heard those things before, and uh, I used to be part of a ministry where someone uh, I heard frequently that they quoted that psalm: "God is great and greatly to be praised," and that was used as a um, that was used as a a verse to encourage us to practice our instruments and practice singing and stuff like that because he has to be greatly praised, not poorly praised with out-of-tune out guitars and violins and stuff. Well, if, if I were to try to describe what worship is in a few words, I would say that it isn't something that man can just do for God. It is something that God does for his own glory and for the good of man through man. It's, it's God making himself manifest through a creation. 
it's it's a creation. It's something God created, human souls, particularly angelic souls, but also outward things in their measure and in their way. They reflect and glorify um, the Lord too, but not with anything that they... Well, let me go back. It's some. It's creation. It's us receiving something of God's goodness, of God's beauty, of God's nature, of God's glory, and displaying it, manifesting it in an even greater way than that which we received. To give you an example, it's the ground of the earth receiving a seed, but actually producing a beautiful, enormous tree covered with beautiful fruits that smell and taste and look beautiful. That is worshiping God in an outward sense, in a type and shadowy kind of way. Or sometimes I use the analogy, some of you have heard this recently, like a diamond. There's a whole bunch of colors and beautiful colors hidden in the white light of the sun. Put a diamond up in, in front of that sunlight and it, it receives the light and it, it doesn't create anything, but it manifests that light in a whole bunch of beautiful colors and sparkles and twinkles uh, that were there hidden in light and now made manifest in a way that glorifies and sh- and shows the beauties of what was there hidden in light. Well, there's there is an infinite number of beautiful things, so to speak, hidden in God. God unmanifested has everything of goodness and purity and righteousness and beauty and perfection hidden in himself. But God creating has all of the things that are hidden in himself put on display, both for his own glory and for the pleasure and, 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 and enjoyment of his creation. So his, his motivation for creating is love on the one hand and glory on the other. Love is to pour out himself, to share what he is with the creation and, and to, through that creation, receive back uh, a, a manifestation of all, because there's nothing higher, there's nothing greater that man can do. There's no higher goodness, there's no higher love, there's no higher uh, beauty than what is God. And so um, man becomes this this vessel for receiving the love of God and and giving the glory of God. And that is, in a sense, I think, what you can uh, what you can call Worship. Worship is the display of receiving something from above and then displaying its fragrance, displaying its effects, displaying its growth, displaying its fruits. The Father is glorified as you produce much fruit, Jesus says in John 15. Uh, Displaying its works, displaying its beauties, Displaying the things that are hidden in God through, made manifest now through a creation. And, and that is why all real worship has to be in spirit and not in the flesh. And what do I mean by that? I mean that 
all true worship has to come down from God and return to God and not originate in man, not originate in the flesh of man. It's not something that we produce. It's something that comes down from above and grows and increases and multiplies in man and glorifies God by producing the increase of it. Jesus says, and you guys are all familiar, a couple of verses here. John 4, um, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will, no, will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, saying basically it doesn't matter about the place, worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, there's another... verse here he says for we are the circumcision and he's talking here about um, the spiritual circumcision those who have had the flesh cut off by the by the sword of the cross he explains that in a bunch of other places too but for we are the circumcision who worship god in the spirit rejoice in christ jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Well, there's a lot of worship today that has a lot of confidence in the flesh, a lot of confidence in human abilities, human talents, human beauties, human ideas, human creativity, human, human, human. And But, but true worship, that which really glorifies God comes from God. Worshiping in the flesh is offering something to God that you have or that you can do that is apart from him, that doesn't come from him. Worshiping in the spirit is offering God the increase or the goodness of what he is or what comes from him. James says, every good um, gift, every good and precious gift comes down from the Father of lights. It comes down. And that's where it needs to begin. And that's honestly one of the most important things that we can understand about Christianity is that everything spiritual, everything that is good comes down. It comes down first. It lands in man as a seed. It lands in man as a talent, as a mina, as a pinch of leaven, as a, uh, as a mustard seed, as a hidden pearl. It, it lands in man. It, it finds a place where it can grow in, in, a, in the field that is man. But if you really want to see it grow, you not only have to find it there by seeking and reaching and groping to find him, 
But then you have to sell the whole field, which is all that you have apart from it. That's the thing into which it fell. And you have to give that to buy it. Because if you try to hold on to the field, then you're never going to experience its increase. But if you give the field to the seed, then the seed will fill it and you'll experience its growth. <clears throat> so, man, so going back to worship, man generally thinks that worship is something that we can do. We can learn how to do it. <clears throat> but uh, of himself, man can't worship God. Just with his own resources. Just, I mean, doing something for God in the flesh. And <clears throat> if you look at, there's a couple of verses come to my mind. First, First Chronicles, this is a really neat passage that kind of describes, I think, worship for, for us. Uh, where is First Chronicles? 29. But I'm thinking of verse 13. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. You see that? For of your own we have given you. And then look down at 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. And so, um, another one here. I wrote down this one. Isaiah 45, 8. I love, this is a, for me, is a perfect description of worship. Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness, and let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. That's a, that's a really beautiful... Let, let the skies pour down righteousness. That's where it comes from. Let the earth open up. That's our job. And in, in a sense, you could say that that's part of worship too. The opening, <clears throat> the opening of ourselves to receive and obey and, and follow and submit to what rains down from, uh, from heaven. Let, let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. So throughout Scripture, there's a whole lot of... I'm running out of time. There's a whole lot of uh, pictures of false worship. And um, the, the first one's right in, right in uh, the beginning, Genesis, the offering of Cain. You guys are all familiar probably with that story. Abel offers... Uh, something and it's accepted and Cain offers something and, and it's not accepted. Accepted. Well, what is, what is fal false worship? I think you can say that it's when, it's when man offers to God something 
of himself, something of his own imagination, something of his own resources, something that does not come down from above, but comes from below. It's something that's not the product of God's working in man, but the product of man's trying to work for God. And that, I think, is what Scripture, in a lot of ways, calls um, false worship or strange fire. That's another Scripture that's really interesting. All of these, we could talk about these for a long time. And maybe, hopefully, we will here in a few minutes. But in, in Leviticus chapter 10... Um, <clears throat> Man tries to approach God with something that didn't come. Well, do you know? <clears throat> do you remember in the in the in the laws that the incense with which the, okay the fire that they were supposed to use to burn the incense to offer up to God the, the fragrance of the holy incense. That fire had to come from the brazen altar, which is like a kind of a, in, a, in a lot of ways, a picture kind of of the cross where, where God's fire consumes the flesh and, and, uh, and, and brings judgment on all that is, well, consumes and then offers up to him too. Uh, uh, that, that, that fragrance, depending on, the, there's a bunch of different kinds of offerings and there's sin offerings where, not going to get into all that. But anyway, the fire for the incense altar or the incense that was burned before God had to come from the, the brazen altar. Well, which is, I think, another way of saying that the, the, the fragrance that we're offering up to God has to come from, from him. But what Nadab and Abihu did is they brought strange fire some fire i don't know if it was fire from their campground i don't know if one of them had just like i don't know some fire kicking around a lighter i don't know but he's but he said then nadab and abihu the sons of aaron each took his censer and put fire in it put incense on it and offered prof this translation says profane fire the king james and i think the new american standard say strange fire which i kind of like i like that word because um, I think it, I think it describes from God's perspective. Like it's like that. What is that? That's like that's not. I don't recognize it. It's it's contrary to me. It's foreign. Yet they offered profane fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them, and so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, "This is what the Lord spoke: By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy." And before all the people, I must be glorified. Yeah, a lot could be said about that. But in just a quick summary, I think that that's just another picture of man coming before the Lord uh, with his hands empty. His hands empty of, of what comes from the Lord and full of something that doesn't come from the Lord. And so and maybe I'll stop with this. Um, if I were to, if someone were to ask me, well, then how do you worship God? How is it that we, if it comes from him and it works in us from him and it's the fruit of him, how do you, how do you worship God? I think you, you, as far as I can put it into a few words or see it, you worship God by willingly 
and obediently and submissively and wholeheartedly becoming, letting him make you into that temple where his light and his fragrance and his song, so to speak, and his glory and his incense and his nature are dwelling and increasing and rising up to him. The, the picture of the tabernacle, I think, is, is a wonderful picture in this regard because everything, have, everything going on in the tabernacle and around the tabernacle was a picture of God's work in man and God making man into something that bore his image and bore his fragrance and bore his judgment and bore his, um, his, his, his light inside the tabernacle. There was light, there was bread, there was incense, there was... Uh, the the ark outside the tabernacle, there was a, a, a brazen altar that was a, a, a big pool of water, the laver to, to wash in. These are all things that God is seeking to do in us. And we become that temple or tabernacle in which by our by our obedience, by our submission, by our willingness, by our wholehearted uh, surrender to him, the Spirit of God does all of those things, grows all those things, creates that fruit, um, that song, that glory, that fragrance, that image, that incense <clears throat> in us. And so that's why Second Corinthians chapter 2 says, um, <clears throat> another verse I think that I, I think of when I think about worship, uh, 2.14 I think. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Okay, always, note the word always, always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, the, the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And notice here, he doesn't say, Sometimes and in some places, he says always and in every place. And I, I believe that's really the, the heart, as far as I can see, uh, of what becoming a worshiper is. It's becoming that temple or that tabernacle where everything about us, everything in us, all of our words, all of our thoughts, all of our, uh, all, all of our actions, our purposes, our goals, everything that we are and everything that we're doing is more and more, because of our submission to the Spirit who does that in us, is more and more making us into a, uh, a temple that in so many ways uh, manifests and glorifies the thing that God has given us by his love.